either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Heading straight into the holiday season with a couple of big franchises this week and some smaller films to check out, too. Ooh, and a new horror film. It's always fun. Welcome to it. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start out with the latest in the Hunger Games franchise. Coriolanus Snow mentors and develops feelings for the female District 12 tribute during the 10th Hunger Games. This is the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I want my enemies to see a rainbow of destruction engulfing the world. You monsters! All of you! Good luck with that poor little songbird. Where is she? It's a mystery. And mysteries have a way of driving people mad. <laughs> Mr. Snow. Let me ask you one final time. What are the Hunger Games for? It's the things we love most that destroy us. That's a long title for a long movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think, looking back on it, though, all of the installments of the movies have been pretty lengthy, have they not? I I don't know. It's been eight years since I saw one, so I can't recall. And they were all... Well, this one is directed by Francis Lawrence, who did the I think, last three. The, the last three, which I thought were pretty decent. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they split up the second one uh, into into two parts, and then that became has become just the thing to do. Um, I thought they were pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Ironically, this one maybe it, it's so long and it's so packed, you get the feeling that maybe they should have made this one into two movies. Yeah, I you know because it, it is it's about two and a half hours long and it feels it not because it drags or because it's boring, but because it's just right. Got a lot happening. Yeah, and the thing that I didn't know before seeing this. I thought they were going back and just doing it on their own, but this is part of the book series. Yeah, yeah, it's like a the prequel, prequel, a right. prequel book, and and it's set sixty, well, I think, sixty four years before the first Hunger random Games, number, yeah. right? Uh, and it's uh, uh, Coriolanus Snow is just trying to finish prep school. He's trying to get into university, and he's trying to not let anybody else in the capital know that he's actually poor. And in case anybody forgot, that's the character that becomes President Snow, played by Donald Donald Sutherland Sutherland in all the movies that we've seen so far. Okay, this is him before he has the power. And he's trying to get the plimp scholarship so that he can go to university. And, uh, And they decide, there's a wrinkle this year, there's an extra task because people have stopped watching The Hunger Games. They've been going on for 10 years since the Great War, and people have stopped watching. And so the uh, person in charge, who is a gloriously weird Viola Davis, <laughs> as kind of this mad scientist sort of politician type, she's great. She and the person who c- came up with The Hunger Games in the first place, who was played by Peter Dinklage, they have decided that each of the tributes needs a mentor. And so uh, everybody who's vying for the scholarship has to become a mentor. So this is the first year that that happens because this, in the 10th annual, is years before they start with all the flashy, my dress is made of fire, and everybody comes out and talks. And, you know, these are just grunts that nobody cares about. So 
So Snow, those are his ideas that they implement and his tribute that he has to try to um, make interesting to people is played by Rachel Zegler. Um, and from one, West Side Story. From West Side Story. And one of the reasons that she is interesting is because she sings. So it's the first that I'm aware of. I mean, I know that the other was there's a song that kind of comes and goes, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the movies. But there are plenty of songs in this one. There's a bunch of them because she's kind of a performer. She doesn't really belong to District 12, but she's a traveler. And that's where they grabbed her was from District 12. And um, and so she's automatically sort of interesting for that reason. Um, and one of the things about this movie that I really appreciated, you know, The Hunger Games is basically all of them, right? It's this dystopia about how uh, discrepancy between the very rich and all sure. of the rest of us. Yeah. Well, this one just digs even deeper. I mean, it's it's got some teeth, this mm-hmm. movie does. Um, and it is, it is long. It loses its gr- uh, bearing a couple of times for sure. But the main character, right, Tom Blythe, it's tough to make a movie where the protagonist, like, there's a foregone conclusion, right? Look at the uh, look at the Star Wars prequels. Y- you know that this little kid is going to grow up to be Darth Vader, right? So it's a little bit hard. I think that they do a really good job in this one to keep you sort of very interested in what's happening. And I think that Blythe does a great job because of understatement in sort of uh, uh, navigating the change that this man goes through as he slowly becomes who mm-hmm. will eventually be the Coriolanus snow that we all know. Yeah, yeah. So that lets you know that probably more are planned. Um, but it, it is an interesting an interesting choice to make creatively. What are you going to do in a, in a book this long? Are you going to make it to or are you going to compress it? So I guess it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. But there, there is... When there's so much packed into it, I, I think I'd rather have that than than to have it drag on and and two and a half hours feel like six. Yeah. But if it's long, just because it packs a lot into it, I guess you know if I had to choose, I would take that over the other of, be, of being boring and having just have it drawn out when there's not enough to go that long. Right, like Filler. The Hobbit. Yeah. When they made three movies out of the shortest of all yeah. of those books, yeah, yeah, that just felt like filler. Yeah, it keeps your interest the whole time. That's for sure. And um, the performances, all of the performances really are are really very good. Peter Dinklage, this is no surprise, is wonderful. Yeah. He's just wonderful. And, and of course, I mean, it was so much fun to see Viola Davis play this character. Mm-hmm. And there's more good world building with production design. I oh, mean, yeah. obviously, this is a dystopian type of, of story. And even set before, like you said, before the flash of the Hunger Games that, that we knew before. Although I did like... You know, in the in the original films, uh, the uh, the host. Yes. You've got you've got uh, Jason Schwartzman playing kind of the same type of yeah. guy. You know that that, that Stanley Tucci did oh, yeah. in, the, in the regular film. I got a kick out of that. Yeah, he he steals every scene he's in. He's he's just really funny host. Yeah. yeah, he's really funny. Yeah, uh, and he's he's uh, weatherman slash <laughs> amateur magician slash host of the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. And, and while he is funny at the same time, this sort of garish nature of his of his lines, of his behavior, really emphasizes the deeply cynical nature of this story. Yeah, and it's again based on uh, one of Suzanne Collins's novels and then the uh, writers that adapt Michael Leslie and Michael Arndt. And again, Francis Lawrence 
um, directing. So yeah, I give it credit for. I mean, all the the whole franchise has has clearly had the social commentary about it, but for digging in, like you oh, said, yeah. with even more teeth for sure. Because I wasn't I wasn't very excited about it. Either. I'm like, do we need another one? Yeah, do we? agreed. But uh, okay, yeah, uh, so, I enjoyed it yeah. very much. So we'll see where it goes from there. But yeah, a little long, so be ready for that. But it's in uh, all the theaters now. The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Next up is part three in the Trolls franchise. Poppy discovers that Branch was once part of the boy band Brozone with his brothers Floyd, John Dory, Spruce, and Clay. When Floyd is kidnapped, Branch and Poppy embark on a journey to reunite his other brothers and rescue Floyd. It's Trolls band together. You're the guy from Brozone. We were just listening to them. Brozone's back. All right. But that's all in the past. Branch! How come you never told me? You had a secret brother! Correction. Used to be my brother. My brothers walked out on me and never came back. Branch, we're out of sync. We've gone from boys to men, and now there's only one direction for us to go. The back streets. Branch, it's time we find the rest of our brothers and get the band back together. Brozone! We're gonna have the best family reunion ever. Brozone 2.0! Brozone reunion! Brozone, here we bro again! Brozone, where'd they bro? I don't know. We're gonna find them! Alright, Tiny Branch Poppy and this random dude on another musical adventure. (gasps) Wow, too much hustle is a thing. Yeah, part three for the trolls. Uh, This brings back some of the writers and directors, a lot of the people that worked on the first two. And this is more of the same. I mean, this one especially is perfect for the little ones Mm -hmm. and their moms who were really into boy bands and (laughs) and maybe still are, the the reunited NSYNC, because uh, they've got a song in this and and their voices are are in it as well to join uh, Justin Timberlake, who's played Branch the whole time and joined by Anna Kendrick. As Poppy, and yeah, as this as the synopsis says, we find out that he had this whole life before when he was baby, baby B. He was the youngest member of the Brozone family uh, boy band, but they they broke up and went their separate ways. But now they have to get back together to rescue Floyd because he's been kidnapped by these two really no talent celebrities, voiced by Amy Schumer and Andrew Rennells, and they're using. The troll Floyd Detroit's power so they can sing and be famous. So that's basically the conflict there. They have to rescue Floyd from the clutches of the no-talent celebrities. <laughs> but there's more things going on as well. And you've got a bunch of different voices that some have been in the in the franchise and some are new voices like, well, of course, Keenan Thompson because he's in everything, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do like his voice. Um, and you've got David Diggs and uh, Eric Andre and Zoe Shamamet and got pop star Camila Cabello. Is in it, and um, Zoe Deschanel is back as Bridget, and uh, Christopher Mintz-Plaus, uh, McLovin, he's in it. So yeah, a lot of recognizable people, and it's just it's more the same. The kids are gonna like the the, the animation is very snazzy, very colorful. You've got sparkly, There's very lots of sparkly. Yeah, you've got a lot of sing-alongs of songs that most people, adults, are already gonna know, and some new ones too. Like I said, NSYNC has a new song in it. Other than that, it is it's pretty slight mm-hmm. and relentlessly cheerful. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just <laughs> so so sugary, you know. But uh, if you're that if you're that demog- demographic, I think you'll get a kick out of it. There are a lot of in jokes about boy bands, a lot, <laughs> uh, and they're funny. You know, I I you know laughed a couple of times. 
But uh, if you don't have any interest beyond that, this one is just about, it's, it's just really on par with the other ones. Mm-hmm. They're not great, no. but for the kids and for moms of a certain age, probably uh, a decent way to pass an hour and a half. And there's tunes, you know, so uh, and, and some very in jokes for something that uh, maybe is in your past and to give you some nice nostalgia about it. So that is Trolls World Tour, and it is in theaters now. Next up is a drama that is out in theaters now before it hits Netflix in a couple of weeks. 20 years after their notorious tabloid romance gripped the nation, a married couple buckles under pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. Latest from director Todd Haynes called May, December. Do you remember when you first met? He came to the pet store looking for a job. A summer after sixth grade? Seventh. Why do you want to play me? When they sent me the script, I thought, here is a woman with a lot more to her than I remember from the tabloids. What would make a 36-year-old woman have an affair with a seventh grader? People, they like to see me as a victim. I wanted it. I already have an idea of what it must have felt like. What? Sneaking around with you. I shouldn't have said that. Always, always love Todd Haynes. Yeah. Love to see that it's a Todd Haynes movie. His last two films, uh, Dark Waters and Wonderstruck, both both very solid films, but they felt like um, an an attempt to be more mainstream. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You this, go back to some of his other work, like Carol. Yep. Go all the way back to, well, with Julianne safe. Moore, Safe. Mm-hmm. Um, Far From Heaven. Velvet Goldmine, sure. uh, I'm Not There. Right. A little more yeah. experimental. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's nothing wrong with trying to go main, mainstream. And they're you know. both good. Yeah, both of and his they're, more they're mainstream good films. Yeah. But you you think about if that was going to be a, a permanent direction for him, and now he's kind of going back a little bit to something that feels more like a Todd Haynes type yes. movie. Yes, absolutely. Because he tends to he tends to take stories that um, focus on uh, sort of damaged women in this unusual character study, mm-hmm. like Carol, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, which might be his best, but so this good. is this is not as good as Carol, but it's quite good and it's quite odd. So uh, Julianne Moore plays Gracie, and 20 years ago, Gracie went to prison <laughs> because her boyfriend was a seventh grader. Um, and now we catch up with them 20 years later. Uh, their oldest child, who she had in prison, is in college now. They've got twins who are about to graduate from high school, so they're about to be empty nesters. So they've been married all this time. Mm-hmm. So it's a happy story, right? <laughs> and uh, and it's all behind them now, except that uh, Natalie Portman's Elizabeth is an actress, and she is going to play Gracie in a new independent movie. So, you know, they're going to get it right this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so so that she has a little control over things, Gracie just invites her to come kind of shadow her for a while so that she gets it right this time. So much of it feels like I mean, the, the story itself, of course, has a very tabloid, true crime, lurid kind of feeling about it. And for a few minutes, he really Haynes really leans into that. In the opening scene, Gracie is having like a cookout and she's staying in her kitchen, and she opens her refrigerator door, and then there's this dramatic music stab and a quick ex- extreme close-up, and she says, I don't think we have enough hot dogs. <laughs> you know, so it's like yeah. very soap opera-esque, and, yeah. and it gives you the sense that you're watching something campy. 
But yeah. it turns, you know, and the character of Elizabeth, uh, Nellie Portman, I mean, she's made some great movies in the last several years, including um, including Jackie, right? But oh yeah, but it it's not since uh, Black Swan that she's had this kind of a of a toothy character to mm-hmm. really tear into, uh, and it's fascinating to watch that character change in, before your eyes, and then it's just as fascinating to watch the Gracie character poke holes. I mean, just as the mo- as the you know the sort of Dance goes back and forth. Who is manipulating whom here? And what's really going on? And the two of them together are absolutely fantastic and fascinating. But the shock of this movie to me is Charles Melton from the god-awful YA movie, The Sun is Also a Star. Yeah, and he was also in, right after that, he was in the god-awful Bad Boys for Life. Oh, my. It's just, and just the, the, the lines he was given to say. Uh, were a problem. Those movies were terrible. Yes. But it's great to see that he's, he's got the talent. Though. Oh, he's so good. He's so good in this movie as Gracie's husband. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, he's so good. It seems very natural. Like, yeah, that's that's the kind of stunted man that this person would treat. He's so, you just want to hug him. He's so, he has really created a memorable character who is absolutely the heartbreaking core of this movie. And I think without that, with just these two um, Gracie and Elizabeth kind of dancing around each other. There, it would be not superficial, but very cynical. And having him in there really complicates the emotions of this movie that is otherwise kind of, kind of morally ambiguous. To be honest with you, I think it's great that you brought up the word camp because just yesterday I was reading a little story mini interview with Todd Haynes that said people have been bringing that word up, and he was a little surprised at first, but then he looked he looked a little deeper and thought, okay, well, camp doesn't isn't necessarily a bad thing. Oh, no. And it's funny because you bring it up right now. I'm looking at the computer screen. You bring this up on IMDb, and it says comedy drama. Um, so it's, it's very interesting how you might take this, a little campy, a little pulpy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about the story at the heart of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen this, obviously, in the news. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you're of a certain age, you can probably remember what story and the names associated with the real life story. This sounds very similar to. Um, so yeah, it can be pulpy and campy, but when you're digging into the the relationship between all these characters, it can be fascinating. Oh yeah, and yeah, it, I mean it's such a great Todd Haynes movie, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and as like I said, I did enjoy the last two that he did, but I and I know how much you love Carol. I think mm-hmm. that was your favorite movie that of year. That year, yeah. Uh, and, I, I, and I love I'm Not There. Oh, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Far from heaven is safe. Oh, I mean, I just, yeah. you know, I, I just, it, 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 feel, it felt like him again, mm-hmm. and I was so happy about it. Yeah, that. he's just one of those, and we've mentioned, there's a handful of them, uh, directors, filmmakers, that good or bad, if, if they do something, we want to see it. Yep. What are you up to? What yep. are you doing? And this is the latest for uh, Todd Haynes. Definitely worth seeing, as I said, in theaters now, and it will be on Netflix December the 1st, called May December. A music documentary next that examines the musical creativity of Brian Jones in the early days of the Rolling Stones through candid interviews with essential performers and previously unreleased archives. It's the Stones and Brian Jones. Nick and Keith absolutely love Brian. He had all the girls and he had all the fan mail. Brian's rivalry with Mick, the leadership of the Stones, was growing. A visible friction grew up between them. A rock group is sort of like a primitive tribe. Their whole life blood comes from that bond. Once nobody wants to talk to them, they just go off into the woods and die. 
I felt sorry for him for what we did to him. We took this one thing away, which was being in a band. If you had to do all over again, do you think you'd go the same route again as far as, you know, now that you realize the demands that are put on you as a tremendous success? I'd do it 100 times over if I could. I love it. Yeah, as I said in my written review for this, if, if you know the name Brian Jones, you're a Stones fan that's either dedicated, old, or both. <laughs> and, uh, of course, as you know, the Stones, one of my all-time favorite bands, major fan of the Stones. I've known about Brian Jones for a while. And, and this movie and documentarian Nick Broomfield wants to either tell people that don't know or remind people that Brian Jones was the founder of the band right. at the age of 19, <laughs> formed the Rolling Stones and put together the rest of the band, Mick and Keith and Charlie and Bill, through either other bands in the area at the time or I think through uh, Bill Wyman's case, uh, through an advertisement uh, looking for band members. So he put the band together. And then as the years went on, the fact that he didn't sing, and he didn't write songs, and his personal demons led to Jagger and Richards going to the forefront, and then there's jealousy, and then there's and he was kicked out of the band shortly before he passed away by drowning in a pool. So this is his story, and Broomfield does a great job of really immersing you in the time and the place. I mean, it's all about England in the early 1960s, all this early footage and interviews and a lot of voiceover, uh, audio snippets from old interviews. It really sets the mood and, and really gives you great behind-the-scenes footage of the earliest days of the Stones and the whole scene that was going on at the time. And a lot of that is just essential for a rock fan, for a Stones fan, or a music fan. And it gets you close to, to Brian Jones and... Not only you know his uh, his aims at putting together the band, he was definitely a blues guy. In fact, the as Jagger and Richards got into writing more songs, he he didn't really like the direction they were going. He wanted to keep it all bluesy, you know, keep it all bluesy. So you respect that, and it shows that he um, actually took time to answer fan mail, had some Very snippets sweet. from family. Yeah, and you respect all that stuff, but then you see where it's going here. I mean, it it has some interviews with some of the various girlfriends who bore his five children yeah yeah had a sort of a pattern of how he, he did this and moved from one to the other maybe lived with them for a while and then as one of them uh, looked back and said quote he just uses people unquote had a very troubled relationship with his parents mm. early on they kicked him out and he was always always concerned about what they thought of him and things like that not, not only drove seemed to drive his ambition but his self-doubt as well and then, of course, things, you get into the band life and they're popular and the drugs come into play. And uh, so it's fascinating, bittersweet. You know, it's sad. It teaches you a lot of things. It shows you a lot of uh, archival uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, which is great. And the only thing, ironically, that, that breaks the mood, you've got all these, all these old movies, home movies, uh, news bits, and all this old interview footage. And then every once in a while, it's sort of punctured by newer interviews, sort of Zoom-type interviews mm -hmm. with people like Bill Wyman, mm -hmm. who is a, a historical consultant on this uh, on this film. And if you know anything about Bill Wyman, he had his own uh, documentary a few years ago. He's a major archivist. Right. I mean, he's retired from the band, but man, he's a major archivist. So they had him as a historical consultant on this to get things right. But even when you're talking to him, well, two things. When you're talking to him, 
you immediately think, all right, where's Mick and Keith? Exactly. Uh, so that draws yeah. the fact that it calls more attention to newer interviews with them. They're not involved. And also it just sort of punctures the mood. You're into this. You're immersed in 60s, early 60s Britain, um, and then you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and there's a couple other of those newer interviews that with Zoom type that just seem to, oh, it, it just, you're, yeah. you're, you're, in a, you're in a mood and then it's, it's sort of shattered. I get why they'd want to talk to Bill Wyman on one hand, but on the other, if you're not talking to Mick and Keith, uh, you know, you sort of let Bill Wyman be that historical consultant in other ways. But it might have been maybe he could have just voiced over like montages, you know, that might have been more interesting. And in a weird way, this is going to sound weird. But one of the things this made me think of was um, the, the documentary about Wham! From last year and yeah. how Andrew Ridgely put that band together, but was not the talent. But then Andrew Ridgely yeah. stepped aside, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and and yeah. I'm and I'm sure it wasn't. I mean, it clearly was with some 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 hiccups and not all the best feelings. But on the whole, in a healthy way, he was like, no, this guy, he's yeah. the one. And he stepped yeah. aside. And it was it's quite sad that it, that couldn't have been how it worked out. Yeah. Here. And you just see about you here and how lives just get away from people. They yeah. start this band. How many other teenagers start a band? Countless. Right. Well, this band happened to become the what Rolling some Stones. people call the greatest <laughs> rock and roll Yeah, and his life just got away from him. It also reminded me of, that's a good point to bring that up, it also reminded me of the Pink Floyd story. Yeah. You know, Sid yes. Barrett uh, started the band mm-hmm. and then led to problems and, you know, mental problems mm-hmm. and drugs, and then he was out, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, well, he, he didn't die at the age of 27, but... He passed away and was not a member of the band in their quote-unquote glory days. So, yeah, it'll remind you of a few of those things. But definitely worth knowing if you don't know much about Brian Jones or, or that history because it's it's still astounding as we stand here right now. The Rolling Stones have a brand-new album and are going to go on tour again. And it's just, it just you, you're watching this when they started the band. I'm like, my God, these guys are still going. I know. <laughs> well, I remember when Steel Wheels came out and they went on tour, and people were like, like making a joke that Steel yeah. Wheels were their wheelchair yeah. wheels. That like, was '89. That was, I know. <laughs> that was 35 years ago. <laughs> it is amazing, but yeah, if if you love the Stones as much as I do, or just a casual fan, this mm-hmm. is a part of their history that should not go unnoticed. Even though they've they they were together so many more decades after he left the band and it's an incredible part of their history that uh, in in uh, that deserves to be remembered and uh, nick broomfield we should say another if you're a, a fan as we are of leonard cohen yeah he did he a, did a one, documentary yeah. called words of love a few yeah. years ago and you'll note if you've seen that movie there are there are also things that remind you especially the ending because if you remember the ending of words of love it sort of ends on an old handwritten mm-hmm. note so does this one yeah. a sort of a bittersweet bittersweet ode to to lives that sort of drifted apart so definitely worth seeing couple of a couple of missteps a couple of things that break the mood but definitely worth seeing of the stones and brian jones and it's out now on vod And next up, some holiday horror. After a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy, a mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes Plymouth, Massachusetts, the birthplace of the infamous holiday, Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. The longer this goes, the more twisted it gets. The weapon he's using is straight off a Thanksgiving table. I don't want to spend my life looking over my shoulder. We need to stop him. It is going to be a very happy Thanksgiving. 
that's heat. Well, in case you've forgotten, this calls back to 2007 Grindhouse, mm-hmm. the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez double feature, mm-hmm. and it included some fantastic fake movie trailers. Yes. And right away, if you saw the movie in theaters as we did, yes. you saw these trailers, you're like, make that movie. Yeah, and every single one. The first one they made was Machete, yep. and then they made Hobo with a Shotgun, yep. and one of the other trailers was this yeah. Thanksgiving. And then now we, just just so people if you haven't seen it you should know there's also please god Werewolf Women of, of the, the SS, SS starring Nicolas Cage as Fu, Fu Manchu. Manchu. <laughs> and that was uh, and that was Rob Zombie. Yeah. And then there was also um, Edgar Wright. There was one don't. don't with like that that super deep voice like yeah, yeah don't yeah. like don't go in the basement don't yeah. answer the phone. Oh. They're great. And I'm, I mean, we we like those movies anyway. It's a double feature of Planet Terror and uh, Death Proof. Yep. But uh, you can probably find the fake trailers. Oh, on I'm sure YouTube. you can. Yeah. But they're great. Anyway, this is the latest to be made into a full feature. Eli Roth Thanksgiving, and it's fun. It is fun. Now it's it's there are a couple moments that that pull from that you know fake trailer, but but it's that's not the 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 storyline. Right. So don't expect that because, you know, those were meant to look like something that you would watch as a trailer if you went and paid money to see Grindhouse movies. So yeah. that's not really the aesthetic here, but it's a it's so it's a slasher, yeah. essentially, and it's a fun one. And Dustin Meadows reviewed this one for us. He actually got a chance to see it in L.A. several weeks before the rest of us did. With Eli with Roth. Eli Roth. He was there in attendance. So thank you, Dustin, for covering this one for us. Yeah, so it starts out, it's, it takes a wicked stab, pun intended, at capitalism, because yep. the whole thing starts on this Black Friday massacre, you know, a shopping, you know, the shopping crowds going crazy to get the latest bargain, and there's a massacre, and then jump ahead, and there's a killer who wants to take revenge. Now, one of the things, I guess one of the, the downfalls about it is most people, well, let's say not most, a lot of people who are well-versed in horror movies are going to guess who the killer sure. is. But even so, right. you still have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's very bloody, as you might expect from an Eli Roth film. And it is. it is. It's a lot of fun. Nell Verlack is the main character, Jessica. But you're also going to find the, the new sexiest man in the world, Patrick Dempsey. Oh, is uh, he? Yes. Wow. He just he just won. He's, he's the new reigning. What does he do for a living that he's... He's in this movie. <laughs> well, I mean, usually it's somebody who's like, is he still to have a TV show? Or? He may have. that. You know, He was McDreamy, right? Is that show still on? I don't think we don't it know is. because we don't, we don't watch TV. Uh-uh. Anyway, he's he's now the new sexiest man in, in alive, and he is Sheriff Eric. I'm N- dubious, Newland. by the way. That's, and, who's voting for that? I don't know, but Sorry. the point is, he's in this movie, and he's really leaning into the fun of a New England accent, right? Uh, so that, and then you also have a uh, Gina Gershon sighting as well. So all in all, for people like us who she's sexy saw she is who saw that fake trailer and, and and wanted it, it doesn't disappoint. No, you know the first if you remember the first machete was great. Oh the second yeah, second one sucked. No, the first one was awesome. So great. Yeah. Hobo with a shotgun, pretty fun. Oh, I very much enjoy Hobo with a shotgun. We're still waiting on uh, Werewolf Woman of the SS. Yeah, let's I, go. I really want. Let's that. go. Really and want don't that. be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, but for right now, now we've got uh, Thanksgiving. So yeah, a lot of fun. If you're still still riding out spooky season we are right there with you and by all means check out dustin's reviews the first one he's written for us mm-hmm. and we thank you very much for it. lucky dog <laughs> just just got married congratulations, oh, gotcha. congratulations by the way dustin and, michelle, dustin and michelle and got to be in the theater with eli roth 
and premiere this movie. Man, that's pretty sweet. So uh, check out that review at madwolf.com. Thanksgiving out in theaters now. And let's go back to VOD for a comedy thriller. A disgraced pharmaceutical employee accidentally discovers a deadly opioid vape conspiracy, sending him on the run to expose the crime with a trail of chaos in his wake. It's called Blow Up My Life. I've been waiting my whole career to dig with some big farmer whistleblower shit like this. I know people are getting hooked, and I know that you know. Ooh. This is the foundation of capitalism. Create demand. Either you're going to fix this, or I'm going to have to go talk to the press. Oh. Now these people want me dead. I need more evidence. Who's pulling the strings? Can you get it for me? You're not going to get away with this. This is my story. Were you, like, supposed to be some 1950s private eye or something? <laughs> Such a dweeb. This is from writers and directors Ryan Dickey and Abigail Horton. They write and direct. And uh, this review was written by Christy Robb at MadWolf.com. And this is one of those movies where it starts off and, you know, with a, sort of a, a big scene. And then it's the, the rest of the movie is, how did we get here? So it's a it's a pretty um you know it's one of those fun structures that usually works well for for films and there are some fun bits to this. The two lead characters you never dig into them very much, which is really very unfortunate. A lot of the film feels fairly obvious and superficial as if maybe it could have used a little bit more baking time. Yeah, and also she she found no payoff in the film at all. Yeah. Uh, Chris, there's just no resolution, no payoff. It ends with you just going, huh? Yeah. Uh, isn't there more than this? So not a big recommendation there from Christy, but you can check out her full review at madwolf.com, and that is on VOD now called Blow Up My Life. Well, the Schlocketeer taking this week off, so we'll check in uh, with him after the holiday. Looking ahead to next week, we've got a couple of big ones coming out that we've already luck- been lucky enough to see, so we'll be talking uh, about those next week. First one is Disney's newest called Wish. Next one is the one you've been waiting for, Maestro. Yeah, that's Bradley Cooper uh, starring and directing. Also, Ridley Scott's latest, Napoleon, is out next week. And Adam Sandler's latest, Leo. One called Deep Sea. The Job of Songs, that is about Celtic songs. Ooh, yeah. nice. Another one called Hayseed. And one called Do Not Disturb. All right, that'll be all next week as we head into uh, Thanksgiving and beyond. Talk about those then, but this week, what do you think? Hunger Games, Trolls, maybe Little Stones, May, December, what do you think? Keep the conversation going, that's easy to do. You can find us on Twitter, at Mad Wolf, also on Facebook and Instagram and Threads at Mad Wolf Columbus, and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcasts. New one coming soon, by the way, called Fright Club. That's all there for you on the main website at madwolf.com, so we hope you'll keep in touch and have a great holiday, and until next week, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>